It's important to remember as you listen to this podcast, while all of our guests are Connection employees, their thoughts, their feelings, and their opinions are their own and not a direct reflection of Connection corporate headquarters. Welcome to another episode of the Connection Tech Experience. I'm your host, Penny Conway, Product Manager for Workplace Transformation. I am so excited about today's episode. We have a, I'll say a cast of characters um, from our very own uh, Connection Business Solution Group and Connection Public Sector Group. And today we are going to be talking all about the generations within our company, how we view technology, how we apply technology, and maybe even have a little fun back and forth about the stereotypes that our generations have of one another. So first of all, welcome everybody to the podcast. Are you excited to be here today? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Excellent. So the first thing I want to talk about is let's set the foundation on the generations that we have represented today. So for the purpose of this podcast, we have uh, the baby boomers, which are noted to have been born between 1946 and 1964. The generation Xers, which were born 1965 to 76. The Gen Y, more commonly referred to as millennials, is from 1977 to 1995. And then closing us out is our Generation Z or Gen Z, uh, 1996 to present. And let me tell you, ladies, it was hard to find Gen Zers in our company. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about uh, first is really what our experiences have been around technology in our lifetime. So let's start with our baby boomers and talk a little bit about your experience growing up in both the workplace and your personal lives and the evolution of technology as you saw it. Like what were some of the significant things that you guys saw that said, this is going to change the world? So Nick Soros here. First thing I'll say is that um, TV, phones, computers, everything changed from the time I was growing up. I think computers started in the early 80s. I was about 24, just getting married at the time. And, and um, when you saw the whole change taking place, it, it was pretty fascinating to try to stay up with all the changes. It, they were just happening one after the other. Yeah, I mean, when I was um, when I started work, one of the biggest changes that we went through was when the, the internet started to explode and setting up a website. I mean, our company didn't even have a website, so we were doing that, and we were working with servers when they uh, when they came on board and they changed and um, and gave us more storage. And they said, "You guys now have a gigabyte." We were like, "What are we going to do with all of that room?" We, ha- I mean, we can't possibly fill up. And now it goes in our pocket. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's so, so. Those are the two of the big significant changes that I had when I when I started. You know, as technology started to explode in, in the workplace for us and for myself. Wait, did Nick say TV was new to him growing up? You know it. It was like black and white antenna, everything. Crazy, trying to get that game in with the, um, with the rabbit ears. Crazy stuff. Telephone booths that you know, bring you dimes to go make a call. Um, one thing after another. It was wild. Bob, what was one of some of the big technology impacts that you saw changing in your career? 
In the career versus when I grew up? Yeah, either or. Because oh, I was pretty excited when they created the light bulb. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, growing up, the biggest thing, like Nick and Rob talked about, was the antennas, you know, with the rabbit ears. But the biggest thing, the life-changing moment was, I remember in high school, we were all excited and had to go to a friend's house. We finally got cable TV, and we got to watch videos, MTV, right, back in the day when they did it. And then from there, the biggest difference technologically was when modems first came out, they were just so slow, 300 baud. People don't even know what I'm talking about around the table here. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, you, you don't want to either. It was really, really slow. It was uh, old technology. Then it went up to 1,200. You're like, yeah, 2,400. And it was just a crazy time. Everyone remembers the sound as soon as the dial-up started. Uh, At least most of us. The first thing I thought was AOL Instant like logging into AOL and hearing the the dial-up noise. If you've still got a fax machine, if anybody in the world still has a fax machine, that sound, it's like embedded in our in our hardwiring of our brain. You hear that sound and like, we used to get excited. And speaking of fax machines, when they, when they first came out, do you remember it was that, that heat sensitive paper? It was the curly paper. So they would come out and it would just keep doing the spin of fax and you would have to go there and go, well, wait a minute. And if you didn't get it in time, if you waited a couple of days, it would start fading and you couldn't even see the fax anymore. <laughs> but we'll sum it up this way. Go to YouTube, type in something like child learning how to use a rotary phone. Oh my, oh that, yeah, I just saw that story. They don't know how to use the phone, they don't know how to dial one of those rotary phones, those are always interesting. So that's obviously, you know, the biggest change is people don't even know what it is anymore. Right. Jason and Andre, you were kind of, I'd say, equally on uh, maybe the cusp of some technology breakthroughs. What was the most influential that you remember? So the first had to be the Apple computer. We were the first school to have it in the state of New Hampshire. So we basically started out with the Macs back in the day, little desktops. Then we transitioned where all of a sudden car phones came out and thought it was my parents owned a business. So I got a bag phone in my car because they wanted to keep track of me at all times. Oh my God, I could, I could call on the road, thought it was the coolest thing ever. Now it's look at your cell phones. It's, it's unbelievable what we can do now compared to back then. Right. Right. And for, for me, I mean, those, those were all huge, right? Being in school and having a computer, you know, um, growing up without one and then going to school and being able to have one. But for me, I would really have to say um, cable really opened up the entire world to me when I was growing up. Uh, I grew up, I was born in 73, I grew up with three channels, black and white, click, click, click. <laughs> um, but then when my dad got a cable box and used to have to you know, get a crowbar to pry into his wallet to get anything out of him, but uh, we got cable and we went from three channels to 43. I mean, your world changed. You could see anything at any point and MTV was obviously a huge influence and just opened up the entire world for us. So, yeah. so when, when I did cable, I mean, bef- even before cable, we, we went from VHF to UHF. And when we got UHF, it was like, are you kidding? I got four extra channels on UHF. And I was like, wow. And they had, you know, cartoons playing half the time, you know. And, and then we also had stations signing off at night. So you go there and then, you know, 11 o'clock at night, all of a sudden you'd see the station starting to sign off. That doesn't happen anymore craziest thing ever was watching my dad go up on the roof and put up the huge antenna but you could control it down 
by the TV and turn it what direction yep. to go in order to get a better signal. <laughs> so my dad was Mr. Gadget, and I'll never forget one of the biggest things that took place when I was a teenager. I was born in 58, so mid-70s, when um, he, had a, he had this thing called a Bulmar Brain. 20, it was a $270 little mini computer. It add, added, subtracted, multiplied, divided. And he would take that around on his route when he worked for a Table Talk Pie, and everybody was amazed. What is that? It's a computer. And um, they, they were just fascinated. That's what it costs. Now you can get them for free. Right. You know, but that's all it did. Four functions, $270. And he was like the king of the neighborhood. So Emily and, and Jason, you um, being millennials, do you even remember a time when you didn't A, have cable television or B, have a computer at your disposal, let alone like being able to walk around with it everywhere? Yeah, absolutely. I do. Right. I kind of feel like I'm one of the last ones to grow up without a significant influence of technology in my life, right? And by that, I mean iPhones didn't exist, right? There was no cell phones when I was in high school. Nobody really had them. Granted, bag phones existed, but they were hyper expensive, right? Yeah, Andre, that also means you were rich, by the way, that you had a car phone, so... No, my parents <laughs> had the business, and they knew they had to keep track of me at all times. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no worries, right? So, so it, I feel like, right, on the other end of the generation with, with Emily here... It's an entirely different experience, right? Because I got through high school without a cell phone. We had a pager, right? But just the, the explosion of the ability to communicate really happened when I got out of high school, right? And I actually ended up having the good fortune of working in the wireless industry, and I saw the iPhone era come to fruition, and it was really a, a very fascinating experience to see just, just how quick uh, people wanted to adopt that new technology. I worked for Verizon at the time, and they didn't sell the iPhone when it first came out. AT&T did. Right. And we lost customers left and right. They were willing to pay any price to get out of Verizon, to go to AT&T, to get their hands on that iPhone. I think for me, I always remember having cable. I always remember, as a kid, watch, um, watching cartoons in the morning. However, I didn't have my first iPhone until I was a freshman in college. That was six years ago, I think. Oh, yeah, I was born in 1995. But I got a flip phone when I was a kid, but I think the using the iPhone like anywhere I go, having data, I think that really changed my time um, the most. Yeah, so that leads us to uh, our up-and-coming generation, our Gen, Gen Zers, as you like to be called. Maybe you have another name for yourselves. Um, but you guys really have never... That, how long has that iPhone been in your hand? Oh, God, I have had an iPhone, I think similar to Emily, probably since, actually, no, high school, maybe. But I don't know, Anne, if you remember, but before that, I mean, I remember in fifth grade, you were so cool if you had, like, the Razor oh flip Absolutely. phone, and that was the total fad before the iPhone. But ever since, I mean, it seems like every time you turn around, there's a new iPhone with new features and, and things just to make your life easier, I guess. I just, I just want to say, I had a razor. I'm a boomer, and I had a razor. As did I. That was so cool. We razor. all did, too. But did, did you all just catch that she said in fifth grade yeah, she yeah. had the razor? I was trying to ignore that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, I remember that. I remember not being able to get GPS and having to go into MapQuest and get a map and get, like, the step-by-step -step directions to go anywhere. And um, once we really got the smartphones, it was just a complete game changer. I remember it went from having a cell phone being not a necessity but like I feel like when I got into 
high school-ish. It wasn't even an option. You need to have this with you. We need to make sure you're okay. So it's crazy. Well, yeah, you weren't cool unless you had an iPhone. That's how I felt growing up because I wasn't the first to get an iPhone. I was kind of the last. I wasn't cool enough. Yeah, and in eighth grade, my best friend Emily was one of the only to have an iPhone, and everyone would borrow it during like the reading time just to play the apps, and everyone thought it was so cool. But again, I, I mean, for Anne and I, I, since kindergarten, we had computer class. Like, I don't remember a time not having a computer. And I do remember the dial-up internet, though, because we had it at home. <laughs> um, but computers just, it, it's second nature. I think that that's why... You know, we can type so fast, and my mom still texts with one finger, and she's like, how do you type so fast? You, you can message me a paragraph in a minute. How, how do you do that? It's like, it's just normal for yeah. us. It's just what you're used to. And that, so I think through, throughout all that, we kind of saw what was normal and what was that more, oh my God, this is brand new. I have to learn how to use this. Like cable news, having a turnoff time. I honestly... I really don't even remember a time where the TV wasn't like a 24-hour a cycle. There was always something. I think I was like at the very tail end, like you, Jason, where it was, I vaguely remember a couple of stations having the, the snow after a certain time, but you could always find something on TV. So I want to shift a little bit because I think how we, um, where we kind of sit in our generation has definitely affected what we come to expect at work. Um, you said it, Carrie, you've been in computer classes since the beginning. I remember getting a computer at school, but not having any idea what we were supposed to use it for. And I think that's the majority of us in this room. When it comes to, um, and I think about this a lot with our customers too, with the, the difference in generations that are running companies, what kind of expectations do you guys have of technology in the workplace? Or do you see that sort of evolving within our customer base of what their expectation is? Are there still some really slow to adopt like technology choices and the cloud and all that stuff versus the, you know, take what you get and that's what you use and that's what our policy is. What's kind of the landscape there in a corporation, both in your personal lives and what you're seeing with customers? So I think it's, I think it's really all about communication, you know, communication, phone, email, um, <clears throat> internet access, anything you can do to, you know, it even covers across the different generations the improvements have all been making communication better. You can reach people out when they're out in their car now and, and uh, customers can collaborate with their rep, not actually even from the office, from anywhere. I think that's the biggest improvement. I echo that, and that's kind of the expectation that I have when I come into work here, right, which is I'm always connected and I can always access anything that's critical to getting my job done, right? 24-7, if it's email, if it's applications, if it's remote access via VPN, whatever it is, I, I, I just kind of expect that you're able to connect and get done what you need to get done at any point in time, right? And I think that's, it, that brings up some interesting thoughts, at least for me, around, you know, the Monday through Friday, nine to five working hours, you have to be in your seat to perform your job versus the more, I guess I would consider it modern approach, which is, as long as you're getting done what you need to get done and going above and beyond, does it really matter where you are? Does it really matter if you're at a particular location in a desk, in a chair, or could you be on the beach somewhere, but equally productive, if not more so? Right, and I think that's role specific uh, as well. You know, I just, I want my technology to work the way I need it to work in my role. 
right? And then I don't care what our cloud platform is here in the IT department. I just want to know I, my computer opens up, it works every time, does, does, never stops working, and it just works when I work the way I want it to work. Um, I think it's been that way throughout my entire career being in retail, um, 25 years. I didn't care about what technology I was using. It just had to work. I think I can roll off of Jason and Jason and saying that as a Gen Z um, and being in sales, relationships are so important, but um, we really value, you know, quality of life and who doesn't, but we know that in our personal lives, we have all the tools to keep relationships with people who we went to high school with or middle school with. We can look them up on Facebook or we have their numbers. We can reach out to so many people in a day. So why can't we do that to our jobs with our customers with our our friends and just be in the comfort of our home you know with your kids or with your family or again on the beach somewhere maybe but I think that mobility is is huge and it's becoming uh very desired by our generation at least that's a really interesting analogy that you brought up there right which is the relationships that you have with your customers you see almost akin to the relationships that you have with your friends right and the ability to communicate over all these different mediums, right? Maybe you've got, maybe you you text with some of your customers or connect with them on Facebook, and I think that's really interesting, right? That's a good way to build a deep relationship with your customers. Yeah, one hundred percent. I remember growing up, my dad had a pizza place, and it was like you had menus, paper menus that you would pass out. That's how you would market your business, and then it turned into if you weren't on Facebook, you weren't a real business. If you're you can't be found on Google. You're not a real you business. Exist. You have to really like market yourself online now too. And it's a big factor of how you bring in new customers. Bob, what's your, it looked like you were getting ready to, to say something. I think the, um, to go back a little bit, the whole work from anywhere, it works when I open it up. I think that's been a huge, um, obst not obstacle, but I, it's a huge question for companies. This whole, I mean, look at our building. We have these massive buildings. We have tons of people employed. There's operational expense. There's infrastructure put in place. And now we're really seeing like this, I feel like every article out there is like the push for remote work and have people out of the office. But I think that there's still value in the in office and there's kind of this struggle back and forth always. Um, Bob, what's your take on the whole like remote workforce? So I have a lot of remote workers uh, in my group, but I think it's twofold. I think from an account manager standpoint, I believe that when someone first starts off with learning and training, it's important for them to be here and learn from their coworkers. We also uh, require uh, the local account managers once a week to come in just so everybody stays connected. I know when I go home, if I'm working by myself in an office, uh, after about a day, the nicety was nice, but that was it, right? I, I like interacting with people, mm -hmm. so I like to be able to see different folks. I like that people, uh, my wife, son, come bother me in the middle of the day and ask me to do something. I don't have those type of interruptions. But the way I look at it is having a device that someone's comfortable with and being able to use, whether it's in the cloud or not, that makes people more productive. And obviously, backend systems we're working on. But the part about working at home, I have a pretty easy rule myself is, once someone's pretty much on straight commission, I don't care. Right, because of they, uh, what do you say? You eat what you earn, right? Yeah. I don't have to. It's uh, up to them. Yeah, it's real easy, right? You, either you do it or you don't. You know, you make your own world at that point. And then we also have people with some of the hybrid plans that work at home. 
And as long as, you know, uh, as people are talking about, if everyone's doing their job, I really don't care in the end. So uh, it's just a matter of being able to lay the groundwork about here's the expectations. As long as you're performing 85% of goal, you know, you have the ability and the right to work at home. But if it starts to slip, we want to be able to work with you a little bit closer to make sure we're doing everything to help you be successful. So I'm a big proponent of it, but a lot of people don't want to do it. Yeah, well, I think uh, I, what I see a lot is almost in this, maybe this is why they call uh, millennials and Gen Zers, no offense to those of us in the room, but um, uh, the more entitled group is that we almost go in and say, you know, I am a trustworthy person. I do work hard. I've been, you know, I went to college and I did... 80, 80% of my studies remote and turned it on and was responsible for myself. And now we go and interview for a job and they're like, oh, you need to be here from eight to five and your hours are this and your dress code is this. And all of a sudden we go, whoa, like you can't tell me what to do. Welcome to the real world. Like, <laughs> but it, it um, Emily and um, Carrie and Anne, I think that that's more of like a culture shock for you guys considering how you were schooled up until the time you started a career, right? As a recent graduate, yeah, 2018, I, I was going to say to Bob's point as well, we go and, and see, sit with our classmates and our professor for four hours a week, but your entire workload is basically done on your own at home. And if you don't do the work and you don't pass it in, you're going to flunk. If you do and you put your effort in and you allocate your time wisely, you know, you get a good grade. And I think it could, it could be very similarly structured in the workplace. But I do like to come into work. I'm a very social person. So I, I love seeing everybody and especially with connection, we need to have a good con uh, relationship with the vendors. So if you're not with them and seeing them at least a few times a week um, and similar to them with us, I know that they allocate a lot uh, of their time and money to be here and be in front of us. So it, it is important that we're giving them that respect back. Um, but having the choice mm -hmm. would be nice. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I'm a proponent of working remotely, but I think in my job in marketing, I like to come in because, you know, in our row, we bounce ideas off of each other and we collabor collaborate and we work with our creative team a lot. So we need that interaction rather than on Slack or on Jabber or whatnot. But I think you know, I grew up watching my mom go to work nine to five. So for me, I got used to that. So I thought like, oh, I only want a nine to five job Monday through Friday, but I do work remotely sometimes, but. But it's nice to have the flexibility. I think yeah. is really what everyone's saying is it nine to five doesn't rule my life. I have other options outside of Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Right. Um, and it's situationally based, right? There are days during the week where I can't work remotely. I, right. just, I just simply can't. I have to be in the office to you know, bug people around me and get things done sometimes. And, you know, a lot of times emails or Slack or Jabber doesn't always cut it. But when you're going over, and Emily, I'm going to use you as an example, uh, knocking on someone's cube side saying, hey, you got a minute? It just, it depends on the situation too. I think the human interaction as well is a big thing. I know for Connection, we're pushing that in 2019. It's the human element to what we say, we, you know, what we preach. I think that's very important as well. 
I think something also with like our generation, we're in the generation of now, everything's at your fingertips and people are really used to getting information when they need it. So having the ability to work from home when a customer can text you and be like, hey, I have this going on, can you help me? Or just even like having that extra accessibility when you're doing something or you're not necessarily in the office that maybe your coverage doesn't know that much about or whatever it might be, just helps you be able to interact with your customer better when they're used to getting everything at the second they want it. Right. So we, we definitely, on our team, we keep it very personalized because with WebEx, we are always having the video on, having the face in front of you. Even our teams are all over the country, so it's nice to actually have that. You get to watch the visual cues from the person as you're talking about stuff. It does have a little bit more of that personal touch. And it's, it's great because you get so used to that person, but when you actually have that one-on-one meeting when we're all together in one room, it's, it's really amazing that you know we have that technology that allows us to do that. So when we do see that person, it's like, hey, you know, I've seen you all the time. Right, so, so I like video and I hate it, <laughs> right? There's a lot of times I won't turn on my camera because uh, you start to become self-conscious, mm-hmm. right? You know, am I sitting the right way? Is that, did I turn my head? Did I, you know, go and scratch my ear or something stupid? (laughs) So I'm very aware of that. So I don't necessarily 100% uh, use your hair. You may need to work on your hair. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Well, the thing is, I think we just talked about video conferencing, right? And the personality and the personalness of that. I think that's less less generational based and it's more of a personal preference for a lot of folks. Because I work with, you know, Y, Z, boomers, some love to be on camera and some don't. And it doesn't matter what their age is or what generation they are or even their background in uh, uh, professionally speaking. It's just a personal choice for a lot of people. Yeah, but w- w- don't you agree that I-, I think now that the, you know, the millennials and, and all the way to the Gen Zs are more um, comfortable with being on video, whereas, you know, my generation, not necessarily. I mean, there are those that do, but I think most you know, in the workplace because we didn't have a lot of the video chats and stuff. You know, we didn't, you know, we saw that stuff on the Jetsons, which, by the way, I think Cisco probably uh, was one of the first founders of the, the Jetsons videos there. <laughs> but I just don't, I don't see, you know, I just see that the, the younger generation is, is more comfortable with being on videos. Agreed. I think to a point, right, I think social media has broken down those walls. Uh, my my yep. parents cannot stand to do video calls unless their grandparents, I mean, unless their grandkids are in the, are in the picture, right? Uh, it's about a privacy issue for them. I asked them flat out, like, I just don't want anybody else seeing inside my house or, you know, I want to be able to have that wall, so to speak. Whereas I think with the uh, advent of social media, the world is so much smaller now than it ever was before. And there are people who don't want the world to be that small. Like they want to just have that distance a little bit. Right. Bob? Yes. Since I have to leave, Shirley, I just wanted to go over a couple of things that I see about technology and the different generations. So obviously everyone's comfort level is different. I think most people are going to say privacy is their biggest concern. Uh, with social media, though, they push everything out. I'll give you an example. If I'm talking to or talking to a school about Google, uh, Chrome, and they're going to be utilizing it, they're so concerned about the privacy rights, as they should be, but then they go to Facebook, show pictures of everyone, hey, right. my kid was born on this day and this year, and we're going on vacation next week. You know, the security code is X, Y, and Z, if you're interested. Uh, so it's interesting about it is. with all the new technology, um, it's used for good and bad. And what I mean by that is 
the kids nowadays, they have access to it. You know, I have a 15 year old and it's, you know, the wild, wild west out there. <laughs> and you keep trying to teach them, you know, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Uh, back in the day I grew up, you'd hang out with your friends on the street corner and you'd say all the stupid stuff you could and nobody had it recorded. It could never come out to bite you down the road. But nowadays they're just trying to be funny and they don't understand the long-term impacts. And then parents that are um, my age or lower, we're using technology for bad and good, right? You know, my mom would kick me out of the house at you know, 10 in the morning on the weekend and never see me until it was dinner time. Now, you know, you can check and say, oh, where's my kid? What's he doing? Why is he over here? Who is he talking to? And you just track him way too much. And when you think about, like, the trust aspect, you know, of course the kids feel like, oh, you don't trust me, which is true, right, to a certain extent. It's more safety right. than anything else as a parent. But the technology has changed so quick. And then the newer, younger kids don't know how to handle the technology, right? So they don't know down the road what the long-term impact is to people's career. Like, why can't you make a mistake? What's the big deal, right? right? And those are the things I think we have to teach everyone. And then teach everyone, you can't always say what you're thinking on social media. No one has to know every opinion that you have in this world, right? Because they don't really understand how that impacts everyone else. And when we're talking to customers, my biggest thing is really understanding what their needs are and then trying to help position that and then also bring up not necessarily technology but just some of the current events and what's happening in the use of technology especially with their employees so i think it's all um big and so to me it's a very fascinating fun time to be in technology and the technology is going to keep changing and faster and faster and faster so good time to be in sales Oh, it's a great time to be in sales. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a really good point because you, you know, you guys um, know that you've had a phone in your hand for a long time. You've shared pictures, you've shared things. Meanwhile, your parents don't even want someone seeing inside their house on a FaceTime video, which, you know, you're lucky that they can even get themselves on video. I was trying to FaceTime my parents over the weekend while I was away, which by the way, I was very careful to say that I was going away somewhere. So no one knew that I was home. I mean, not home. Um, so it is that balance of security and what you share, what you don't share. But um, you guys, I don't think have, and this might be an assumption on my part, but haven't necessarily learned all the lessons of what to say and not to, and what not to say. And just because you have an opinion doesn't mean everybody wants to hear it, nor sh should you share <laughs> share it. Um, we don't have things like, like, I don't have things that I said 15 years ago, ready to bite me in the butt when I go to apply for a job. But you guys, your whole life since you were 12 really is online, right? Uh, yes and no. So my parents hate Facebook <laughs> and my parents um, are boomers and they just, they're like, Facebook, you know, it's just trouble. You know, too much is shared. They completely agree. So they really taught us and, and we had very strict guidelines when we started, you know, doing social media um, on, on what to post, what not to post, you know, just, just keep your, your real personal life out of it. You know, if you want to, if I went to the eighth grade dance and, and took pictures with friends before, fine but you know people don't need to know where you are people don't need to know you know specific things about you it's just you have to draw the line somewhere and it, even speaking to the way that my parents were with me in social media I see it with parents now and their kids and 
personally, it just breaks my heart when you go into a restaurant and you see that kids are just occupied by tablets. And it's like, where's the social interaction? I mean, my parents would, you know, we'd sit, we'd have a meal, we would talk, and we they had to teach us to just sit still until our food came. And, and we just learned. It was just, but now it's second nature and I'm rambling, but it's, it's a point that needs to be made because the way that, you know, my generation is going to raise their kids, I just hope that it's done appropriately. You hope it's not worse than you? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely grew up in a household very similar to the way Carrie was. It was very, they knew everything that we were posting, and um, it was kind of taught at an early age, like, you're not putting your entire life out there for people and to make sure you know who your audience is. And um, I also feel like, to the point of the restaurants, I was a server right before this. So seeing families interact and then taking the phone away, it was like literally taking a organ from the child. Like it's (laughs) insane how people react because they're so used to it. And then you start taking it away and they don't know what to do. It's my greatest threat against my two teenagers do it again. I'll take your phone. Does it work? Oh, it's it, it scares them. They don't know what to do. They literally will stop and be like, oh, God, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry. They're teenagers. It doesn't work. <laughs> I have one. Well, until you actually take it and you take it for a period of time, a week, what do they do? They don't know what to do. They go back to the old stuff. I need to. I need to borrow the laptop. I need to get online. No, no, you're you're cut off for a week. So I want to I want to switch a little bit because one thing that I think all of us who, um, like Bob said, it's a great time to be in sales. And at the end of the day, even if we're not in a sales role, I think all of us impact sales roles in a in a huge way. Um, and we're constantly trying to figure out what our customers are thinking in terms of buying habits. And I think this is where across, you know, generations where a company, not even, you know, their leadership's age, but really their style as a corporation greatly influences this, which is what buying habits are. Um, you know, we've got some, you know, younger generations that are like, oh, I'll have my phone for a year and then I'll get a new phone and oh I got an iPad and there's a new iPad coming out it doesn't necessarily do anything else that the old one didn't but it's new and I want it Um, so where where you guys sit from in your point of view um, how do you think where someone is generally generationally how that affects their buying habits Um, the boomers it might be said about you guys that um, you can hold on to something for 20 years as long as it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, but is that true or is that a stereotype? No, I think you're right on. I think um, like entertainment, travel, um, healthcare, those are the big things that we look at right now, a lot less on discretionary funds like TVs and things like that. Although I kind of like cross that bridge too. I like, like I said, my dad was Mr. Gadget, so I like that kind of stuff too. But um, Entertainment and travel, I think, are the two biggest things that we really focus on, too. So that's more important for you than having a, the new toy yep. or the newest computer. I like toys, too, but, but I love to travel and, and, and you know, get involved in entertainment. So entertainment yeah. and travel, so the experience. Yes. Not, not the yeah, you want to spend money on experiences versus things. Yep. And what about you guys and uh, you millennials and Gen Yers? Well, I think to circling back a bit to the original point there, I think that there's a pretty good chance that the younger you are, 
the more likely it is that you're, you're, you're drawn to an as-a-service-esque spending model, right? Right. Whereas you had made the point, Penny, if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? But what if I could pay a, a set monthly or quarterly or annual cost and always have it work, even though on the back end it might be something different, mm -hmm. right? if you're talking about technology, right? And I, you know, I would tend to think that younger businesses, businesses that are you know, starting up here today, now and forward, aren't thinking, hey, I need to go buy a server and put it in a closet. They're thinking, who can I pay monthly? What service can I buy to, to cover these these IT yep. needs that I have? Yep. Well, even, I mean, look at, as, as consumers, how things as a service have changed. Look at music as a service. Look at movies as a service. Look at Netflix and look at, you know, CDs. The sweater and, came from clothing as a service, by the way. Yeah. I, it, <laughs> I have that too. But, but think about that. I mean, we used to we used to have our album collection. It was great going out and get the album. And used to? <laughs> All right. I might still have an album right. collection. Pretty large too. But you would, you would get that for the artwork and you couldn't wait to get it home and, you know, open that up and take a look at it and, and collect that. But now, I mean, you, everybody wants it streaming and they want it uh, wherever they are. They want it in the car. They want it, uh, you know, on their phone. And so you're using that model now as a service. And the same with movies. I mean, DVDs are going away. Nobody goes out and buys a DVD anymore. So it's just a, it's a complete shift, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's just me, but I, I want all of it. I want my vinyl. <laughs> I want my cassettes. I want my streaming. I want to go to a theater, watch a movie. I want to stream it, and I want the DVD because yeah. each one has a completely different experience for me. Mm -hmm. All it's completely different. Like I, what about your eight-track tape? I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> I was in a car the other day with an eight-track player, just to say so you know. Um, but I like. Were you at a museum? Uh, no, <laughs> long story. Um, but I, I like listening to The Doors or Led Zeppelin and hear the crackling in the background because it's nostalgic, right? And my kid, it just blows my kids' minds when I play a record, but they're getting into it now too. Listening to The Nutcracker on, a, on, a, on vinyl is just a completely different experience than going to see it. Did you just say The Nutcracker? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on vinyl. On vinyl. All four albums. Um, <laughs> but, but hearing it streaming in the car is fun too because we can all sing along with that. I can't put my records in the car, right? And going to it at a symphony hall. All completely different experiences, and I want to be able to have access to all of it. Well, it's just what you were saying about technology. I want it where, when I want it, how I want it. I just want it there. And so the same thing with an entertainment value. Where I am dictates what kind of platform I want it on. I just think of convenience. I mean, even uh, Uber. I mean, we were, we were all told, don't get a car with, in, with strangers. And what are we doing now? Just ordering a stranger to come pick us up. Don't use the you know, people it's and don't get a car with I know. Now we literally do it for both. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's just for convenience. And coming from a Gen Z, saving is the name of the game right now. I'm someone who, I mean, I was taught... I still have the iPhone 6. I'm not jumping at, at the newest iPhone. And my car is a, you know, a 09 Kia Sportage, and I'm going to run her until she dies. But for a lot of people, it's, it's not that way. It's like I, I will struggle to pay my $1,400 in rent, but best believe I'm going to go get the new iPhone with the greatest picture quality or I don't want to, you know, upgrade my clunker of a car, but I can go spend $300 at home goods. Right. And you mentioned, you mentioned something convenience, right? You, you've mm -hmm. grown up with the convenience and unfortunately that's what draws the resentment of generations previous. Like my, my parents, boomers thought my generation was lazy. 
Now we think the millennials are lazy. Right. It's just because you've had the convenience that I never had. It's not about we think you're lazy, we think you're entitled. It's that we're jealous as hell. Well, oh, you set that, that we up didn't for have, us. That we did, ex- exactly, We have right? you guys to thank for that. You don't know the struggle, Aww. right? You hear that all the time. You don't know the struggle. But you're going to say that about your kid's generation. Right. You, know, you don't know what it's like to, you know, X, Y, Z. It's just, it's... I, I want to bring up something generational, too. Like, who... When we grew up, we went, we, you know, the, the old, I walked up hill both ways. In the, in the snow, snow barefoot. Barefoot. <laughs> but seriously, I'm behind these school buses, and they go five feet and then stop again and pick up some kids. Go five more feet. Well, is, I mean, that, is that a generational thing? Why are that's they? That's a legal thing. I think that's a safety thing. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a legal and safety thing yeah. that you don't have kids. Because um, I, I feel the same way, and I thought the same way. But then I... I got, I'm going to say, I got a kid. I had a kid <laughs> and now <laughs> I found one. <laughs> C-A-A-S, child, children as a service. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like it for one low monthly cost. Um, no, but like I, I kind of, it was like a switch flipped. I kind of got it. I, from both a, one, I worked in education and then two, I had a child and on the education side, it's a total liability to have kids walking around hoping they reach their destination. Um, especially, it sounds funny, but daylight savings time when it's pitch black outside, you have kids walking around. It's the same reason they cancel Halloween, which I know everyone was up in arms about that when they well, that moved Halloween. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, it's like, a, I don't necessarily want my, there's so many, I think, not maybe more dangers, but we've been exposed to more right. dangers. Then, like Bob was saying, like his mom set him out at 10 in the morning and I'll see you later. I couldn't even imagine doing that. And it's probably just exposure to all of the awful things that could happen. It, it is. This is going to be a total um, uh, anecdotal experience. But I, I did. I read a lot still. And uh, I saw a, there was a um, report that said that child abductions are down 300 percent over the last 25 years the coverage of child abductions is up 300,000 exactly. percent over the same amount of time. Exactly. The world is not a more dangerous place than it was 25 years ago. It's just you know how dangerous it is now. And why is it? Because we have a 24-hour news right. cycle. Right. There has to be something to fill the airwaves. There has to be something to write about. There has to be content, content, content. So right. we'll find content. And it was a, you know, well, we got by in my day with this. Why can't you? Well, yeah, and pardon the, 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 the analogy, but you know, 50 years ago, pregnant women drank and smoked. And they don't anymore because it's called progress. And you smoked on a plane, too. Right. Back yeah, you could smoke on a plane. So it's evolution, <laughs> right, and progress. Exactly. You know, we started touching on a little bit, and I want to make sure that we, we get into maybe the more fun conversation, uh, which is the stereotypes. And like you... You guys were kind of blowing my stereotypes out of the water by thanking each other <laughs> for the work that you've done. Um, I guess that just goes to show how wonderful all of us here at Connection are. Um, but there are some of the, like the big, there is a big New York Times story um, just that Rob uh, showed me as uh, we were prepping for this, this episode, which was the phenomenon on TikTok right now by, you know, how many of you, I know what TikTok is. I literally have never even been on it, but it's like a short video service. It's what all the teenagers are. Do you guys use TikTok? 
No. Okay. You're, so you're already old. old. I think it's a little past us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're already old. Um, so they're uh, like 17, 18 year olds that are creating these videos that say, okay, boomer. And it's like become a catchphrase and what they say whenever they're dealing with somebody older than them um, that maybe doesn't understand their own, their challenges and what they're going through. And it's kind of like their outcry um, to make their voice heard. Um, but what's interesting is so they've got all of these people like going, oh, my grandfather went to Harvard for four dollars and he's asking me why I don't have a college education. OK, boomer, like those just sort of the things that older generations don't understand about the younger generation. But then I was saying on the flip side is this is the generation that there is a 18 year old girl who created a piece of clothing. Um, we all know the shopping bags that say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a nice day. Um, hers say, okay, boomer, okay, boomer, okay, boomer, like have a nice life or thanks for nothing or something like that. And within 24 hours, she made $10,000 selling them on some platform that you can instantly upload the art and have it sell and ship out. And then one side of her mouth, she's saying she has no opportunity in her generation. And the other side, she just made $10,000 um, in an instant because of, of technology. Um, so I want to talk about the stereotypes a little bit, because I feel like we face these a lot um, in our jobs. And I think you guys um, in the Gen Z and millennial side have been constantly told um, be it in the media or at work, that you are the lazy or entitled generation, um, where you feel like you should be able, you know, you graduate college with $70,000 in debt and you feel like you deserve to go and sit in an executive staff room. Is that really how you guys feel? Like what is, defend your, your generation a little bit. So kind of with our generation, what I've realized is it's kind of a double-edged sword because you do have people who are used to having things being convenient who might not put in as much effort in general, but like there is also that saying that your laziest worker is going to find the easiest way to do things and might help you find better processes. So kind of tuning into, hey, this lazy person just found how to do a five-step process in one step. Um, so there is that little bit of creativity there, but there's also kind of the ones who are hardworking. I remember I used to work at Market Basket before that, before I was a server, and um, I would work with people entering the workforce at 14 all the way to 75-year-olds, and it's like you do something right, and they thank you. They're like, wow, you did that? And you're, you're a Gen Zer. I'm not expecting this of you. Yeah. So it's kind of just like, we're used to things being streamlined and being super convenient. So I feel like people have very low expectations in general, but they don't realize that with that being said, we're able to view things in a different way so that they're faster and smarter sometimes. I, I totally agree. And I really think that it's, it's not cool to just put a blanket statement on one generation and that goes for any generation, but for me, um, and being raised by boomers, I mean, my parents grew up with nothing. And so everything that they were able to give me, they taught me the, the value of it and how I was lucky to have this, that they didn't. Um, yet I had neighbors who were very, very wealthy. And I mean, and not that that devalues anyone or, or anything, but they didn't teach them the same morals. So, so they are growing up expecting that 
they dropped their phone in the lake. Peter, I need a new phone. I just dropped mine. And sure enough, they'd have it that week. Like, and it just blew my mind. So, I mean, maybe it's, it's the way you're raised. Maybe it's parenting. It, it could be so many different things, but if someone met me and had a conversation with me for 15 or to 30 minutes, they wouldn't peg me as a Gen Z. Right. And everything is, uh, subjective and all about what's, what's the, um, uh, what's the perception? Uh, someone could perceive you as lazy. Someone else could perceive you as just smarter because you figured out a different way of doing it where you didn't have to work so hard to get the same, same objective. Yeah, but that's a good point. The person who wants you to put in, you know, if you can figure out a solution in two hours as opposed to eight, you're going to have your people who think that that's brilliant. Another folks she did, oh, she took a shortcut. Yeah, but she got the right answer. Do you so, think that's part of the, like when you're working in a company or, or you have an, an employer, do you think that's part of it is like, Rob and I have had this conversation before where I've said, you know, the difference in generations is Rob, the job you do now at 50 something, I could be doing at 30 something. And it's just because there's technology that's made us faster not necessarily smarter in all cases, but it's it's shown us the shortcut. It's given us the shortcuts to, to get somewhere, to learn about something, to do something, and less about the, the, the brain power, the brain knowledge. Yeah, even less about shortcuts and more of just about um, a better way of doing something. Usually when something is a better way, it gets done quicker and more efficiently. Yeah, and, and I think to, to Penny's point too, that there is so much more that is available to you at your fingertips that you are able to get a lot more done a lot quicker than we did. You know, when you have to do things old school, it, it takes a while. So I would have loved to have had these tools when I was younger and I, it would, I think my career would have advanced a lot quicker. Yeah. And just even now the knowledge base that I have, I, I have a, a millennial and two uh, Gen Zers for, for kids. <coughs> and the stuff that I learned from them is phenomenal. And I love, and they, they pick it up so quick because they were brought up with it. I wasn't, so it takes me a little longer. Um, you know, to, to get it down. And I, you know, I think that's another real advantage that you have when you, when you grow up with that kind of technology. You just know it, you know the interfaces, and then when something new comes along, it's the same type of interface, but something a little just different, so you pick up on it much quicker. Yeah, so I, I agree with you 100% that you are able to do it, and you're able to grab these jobs at an, at an earlier age, where some people my generation, it, it, it took a while to, to get to that point. Right, technology, if used correctly, has, has brought down barriers, right, to either getting things done or even interacting with people. You know, before it was, you know, go back 50, 60 years, it was telephone and letters. Right. That was it. Carrier pigeon. Exactly. And now it just, you know, technology, again, if used, if used correctly, eliminates those barriers um, in a good way. Access over experience. I use Ooh, Pony Express, like by the way. Just Pony Express, yeah. yeah. Cool Nick, I'm going to ask you a very like a pointed question. Oh. It is because Carrie, Carrie works for you, right? Yep. So, and I know you have a few people on your team that sit in that millennial and and Gen Z. I keep getting it wrong, so I double check my notes. <laughs> um, but what's it? What's that experience that you as a boomer working with a Gen Z or what's that like? Well, it first starts with the interviewing process. Sometimes I'm looking to see what experience they've had if they've had. Um, you know, drive is an important thing. You know, what, what tough challenges they've had in their life. Um, because, you know, you, you have that built-in perception that, you know, a lot of things are handed to some of these people, you know. So I always try to look for um, some of the things they've achieved, some challenges they've faced to, to see uh, the type of, pe type of people I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, you do have some of this, you know, built-in, you know, feelings that, um, wow, this person's younger, what have they really experienced? They've had a lot of things almost handed to them compared to our generation. Right. 
Well, I think I work in a department. Rob work and I are in the same department, but we're in two different generations. But I think that we, when we work collaboratively or come up with an idea, we think about it in a different way. And I think that does help when we do come up with you know topics for campaigns or events or something like that. I, I totally agree with that. So that on a collaboration level, when you're working with different generations, you get different perspectives. And I, I really like how we work as a team and, and how everybody kind of melds that way. It's, it's, it's kind of cool. I completely agree with that. Uh, it's, it's the combination of um, experience and exuberance, right? Because I know I'm looking at the uh, typical stereotypes of a um, you know, Gen X and it's, you know, stuck in their ways, can't think innovatively, but it's just through experience, we sometimes we think we know what works and what doesn't, but having someone coming in without that preconceived notion, it just opens up so many more doors. And, and it's, it's a real cultural thing too, uh, because when you go into a company, you have to look and see what the culture is like. And there are some that are designed where, and I hate to say that because uh, you could get in trouble for this, but they kind of push the older generations out and they are really looking for that that youthfulness but when you go into an environment like ours which i think the culture here is is much different and you get that collaboration on so many levels you know they say that that culture eats strategy for breakfast that famous line and i really uh, agree with that and in this company and i've seen it in other companies too it works much better when you have all of those generations working and you have that cultural shift where people are like, yeah, I want to learn from you and, and vice versa, that there's not those stereotypes where, yeah, you don't know any, that the older generation is looking at the younger generation to learn from them also. So you get that, that meld there, which is really cool. Absolutely. And we might, you know, during the interview process, as Nick said, I might not show that I have two or four years of sales experience, but I do have a, a uh, excuse me a degree in uh, business management, and you know my almost perfect GPA was not handed to me. My magna cum laude status was not handed to me. My positions in my sorority were not handed to me. Those were all things that I did have to achieve, and those are my experiences. And I showed through those four years that I am capable of of taking a job and doing it to to its full potential and and making the most of my experience and i think that that is enough to say like i'm a good candidate i understand i'm young but invest in me and i'll show you that you made the right choice right and yeah, I, that's why i invested in carrie so <laughs> but just real quick to rob's to rob's point i think um uh <clears throat> you really see the culture here at connection totally different because we do have so many people here in the workforce. It, it's amazing when I go to visit some of these customers and um, two-thirds of the building is working from home. They lose that interaction, that culture, um, which we have here, which is fantastic. I've been here 17 years now, love the culture, the people. It, it, it's, it's like a family here where I think if everyone was working remotely, you, you definitely lose a lot of that. Right. And I, I, I'm not sure, Rob, if it was you that had said it but it, it's um I think maybe the the old way of thinking was I'm starting here at this company and I need to learn everything from the people who have been here for 18 to 20 years and I need to know how they do things so I can fit in and now like we have leaders in place that are going oh there are three generations behind me and they are showing extreme success or excelling in certain areas like maybe we should take a hint from them or take a lead from them. And I think that's what it comes down to is our boomers who are leaders and even Gen 
why Gen Xers that are leaders, um, are they willing to let someone else lead with their guidance versus their, you know, overarching direction of where they think a company should go? Um, do you, I think that's like the theme that everyone's heard. It's not the people that are of a certain age that you struggle with. It's people in a certain mindset that you're struggling with. Yeah, exactly. A generation uh, agnostic, I guess. Maybe the best way. Oh, that's it. a great way. To, maybe uh, that's what we'll call the podcast. You're either, you're either a hard worker or you're not, right? But even that's somewhat subjective. But um, I, I am invigorated every day by the folks that I work with of all ages. And we have some remarkable young people in this building, um, in our side of the building, certainly. Um, I don't know as many folks in sales anymore, but uh, in our side of the building, product management, uh, some of those brilliant minds over there are under 30. And I feel very lucky to be able to work with them every day um, and share in their success, right? If they're successful, I'm successful on the other way around. You know, I, I have the experience of a boomer, but I think I have the mindset of a, of a zier. I really do. And I think that comes from here, from working here for, and I've, I'm, I'm new here. I've only been here for a year. So I'm a boomer, but I've only been here for a year. And it's just everybody around me kind of invigorates me. So I, I like that. And I just feel like I'm part of the Z generation just because of that energy and the excitement and the new. You have a fresh degree that you brought here. And there's a lot that comes with a fresh degree. There's a lot of stuff that is being taught in the schools that we never had access to or never knew about. So it's really cool to, to hear the new generation coming up and sharing with everybody else. Hey, I, we, there are new ways of doing all of this. Want to hear it? Yep, we do. Let's, let's hear mm-hmm. it. I really personally wonder where these stereotypes came from. Where's the empirical data to back it up, right? And I, I almost think that millennials were the first to be labeled as lazy, entitled, etc. But millennials were also the first to be exposed on social media, right? And so I wonder if this is a case of a few ruining it for many. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of people saying, oh, that generation's lazy and entitled. And it, but that's just simply because the information was shared more often, more frequently, right, in more places. Right. And then the few drew, drew the conclusions about that that said, nope, that generation's lazy. Isn't that really how uh, stereotypes are born, though? It's a lot that it's just a few that kind yes. of do ruin it for, for everybody. Because I've never believed that it, for a second. And, uh, you know, and I'm a, I think I'm one of the voices of the boomers. And I, and, and I don't hear that. I don't hear my, within my circle of influence, I don't hear people saying that. Yeah, I know 60-year-olds who are lazy and entitled. I know 40-year-olds who are lazy and entitled. And I know 13-year-olds who are lazy and entitled. So, again, it's, not, it's less about the generation. It's more who the person is. Right. And I, I think to your point, Jason, it was like, where did it come from? And we were sort of at the front of that, that millennial. So we started to get very defensive about like, Hey, stop talking about my generation that way. Like I, and both of both you and I have said it is, Oh, well, I'm a millennial, but I don't identify as a millennial. Um, so you're constantly trying to separate yourself from this generation that you believe has a bad rap. That's why we were so excited. Gen Z started popping up. So the focus could go over there. Um, but it's true. It's maybe the few have ruined it for the many, but you know, now that we are like, as of 2017, 
40% of the work, the workforce is us. Um, by 2025, it's, it's projected to, I think, be in the 70s, which makes sense. It's a 20-year you know, age span, so that's a lot of us coming in. We're also one of the largest generations you know, just due to things like immigration and peop- the rate that kid, uh, boomers were having kids and at what age. Um, so there's a lot of factors that go into that, but I think we're all a little bit tired of hearing that millennials are lazy and entitled when a lot of us are going to be the ones leading companies in, in just a matter of years. Not, not will be leading, are leading. Are leading. No, so good point. See, I discount my own generation. <laughs> if anyone has those conceptions, they can certainly come and work here and those will be shattered in an instant. So Awesome. Any closing thought, anything we didn't cover for you guys that you really feel like you need to speak on behalf of your generation? I, you know, I had a very specific question in here, which was where do you think um, there's common ground and what you think about, but the entire duration of this podcast has been all of you finding common ground. I love the generational, being generationally agnostic um, and that that's where you find common ground is you actually look at people and what they do and what they've shown you and what their experiences and what they've accomplished versus you know, where they sit in a, in a year span of being born. I would just like to add, um, and just to kind of give our generation as well as millennials, because they were, you know, right before us, a little more credit. um, Because yes, given that technology makes things more convenient and easier, as we have um, very well uh, portrayed today, it also is uh, is helping us, you know, save our planet. You know, we're there are so many people who are coming up with. Uh, inventions to help clean up our oceans or to help with climate change. And those are coming from the minds of millennials because they've had access and because they have the knowledge of technology. That's a great point. In in being a boomer, I've had people across every generation, all the different younger generations, and uh, nothing I get more excited about than to see the the great successes. People from Carrie's age right on through, I haven't met every level, and it, it really gets me going too. Penny, I liked what you said, the stat that you just gave about 40% um, of people going to the workforce are millennial and Gen Z. And I think businesses and companies and organizations are more open to that now, you know, redoing their offices because you have to kind of cater to your people who you want to invite in to Mm -hmm. work at that specific uh, company. Yeah, it's, we're no longer just walking in saying, okay, this is all great. We're going what on earth is this and can it be better? Right. And you want a place where you can speak freely and be more collaborative and creative. You want to sit in a room or a cube that, that helps you do that. Right. I wonder if we could say that the millennial generation and maybe even to some degree, the Gen Z generation is the challenge, the generation of the challenger, right? Mm -hmm. My, uh, my boss once told me you challenge everything and I didn't really take offense to that. Right. And it was said in somewhat of a good light where it's, okay, this office space isn't good. It's not conducive to a collaborative environment. Why aren't we fixing that? The, there's trash all over the ocean. Why aren't we addressing that? And technology has given this generation, I think, a lot of the keys that they need to, to be able to take a challenge and say, Here's, identify the problem and then fix it and get mm-hmm. after it, right? And, and leverage technology to really make it happen quickly, efficiently, and in a good way. 
It's funny. Uh, Penny and I have had the advantage, uh, the, the wonderful experience of doing these podcasts. And one of the things that we found with these podcasts is that there's a lot of um, issues out there that are not technology-related issues, but they can be solved by technology. I think we came mm-hmm. up with that one with one of the podcasts. Yep. Like, this isn't a technology problem, but it can be solved with technology. And you guys are handed the keys to the kingdom right now. And so as long as we're all mindful of the journey that all of us have gone through in our generations, then I think that, and understanding that we're a culmination of our lifetime activities and our lifetime experience, that when you put that together, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of cool things that happen from Gen Z all the way down to the boomers that we could all kind of draw from. So it's a, it's a neat thing, but technology, definitely we have the keys with that. Absolutely. So our, uh, our Gen Xers, any final words we've heard from everybody else? I would say that having the different generations in the form that all the technology allows us creates a little bit more of a unified front because it is that constant sharing of information. It's just that everyone has to understand that do it openly. You know, there's a lot of things that are out there that people don't like. Skip right by it. Don't pay attention to it. Don't let it like bring you down. It's just everybody's going to have an opinion. It's how you absorb it and how you move on from it and how you work together to create more of a unified message for something. If it's something that's out in the, uh, the workplace, in the life space that is not accepted, and then just move off to the side. Promote those things that are good, that are going to make changes. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I would say uh, don't apologize for your generation either. Just be the person that you are. Right. and. Uh, think like a millennial or think like a Gen X, but don't be afraid to think like a boomer if you're not. Don't be afraid to think like a millennial if you're not. Right. Just don't share it on Facebook. Just don't share it on Facebook. <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. That is I don't, the... don't want to see what you have for dinner. Please. Right. You're not bringing it to my house. I took pictures of donuts over the weekend, though. I know you want to see it, Andre. Um, I think that's a great uh, place to close. And I, um, I love that we have now coined that phrase, be gen, uh, generationally agnostic. I think that's where we find common ground. I think that's how you sort of abolish those stereotypes uh, that were created by the few. Um, and now the many are challenged by them. Um, and so if you are out there listening and you are wondering how you can um, develop a more uh, generationally agnostic environment, I think you've heard that um, your representatives and your folks here at Connection are really setting a great example on how to do that. So reach out to your account manager or visit www.connection.com. Thank you all for joining me today. And I'm actually really hoping we do another episode because this was really fun. It sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Penny. Thanks, Penny.